any of the blame belong to you? Yes, because for many years I was a Democrat. We go to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington. Surely God is mad at America. It is also about what you, the people who love this country. Is that the rule? I have socks. Oh, you have socks? They're the loafer socks, yeah. I don't think they make those for men. They totally do. Don't do they? they? Aren't these for men? I don't think they're for men. It's fairy socks. I 100% don't think they're for men. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Modcast, the project of the American Moderate. I'm your host, Teresa Meyer, and my voice has been described as not that grating. This week I'm joined <laughs> by Alex Mollahan, who when asked how, what he, how he wanted to be introduced, said surprise me so he gets nothing. Sure. Today we're going to be recording from, we might as well be recording from Berkeley because we're only talking about Democrats. Our guest today is Michael Hout, chairman of the American Moderate. Hi, Michael. Hi. <laughs> so, um, why don't we just launch in? Yeah, so I just got done working for the Clinton campaign. Oh, um, you just got done? November 8th. <laughs> uh, did, you, did you just, uh, did you leave by choice? Was it a resignation? Was it a firing? What, was there a precipitating uh, event? It was endless tears and depression. I won't, yeah, I won't go into that, but it, it ended at the Javits <laughs> Center in New York, but I, yeah, I... It's so weird, nothing happened. <laughs> I worked with the advanced team on the campaign. I, I um, was mostly just in, in, in New England, uh, um... Did some interesting things, met some interesting people. Um, prior to that, was working on other campaigns, um, very much involved in different uh, local and state races from uh, New Hampshire, Massachusetts to Georgia and Virginia. Um, first campaign I really worked on was uh, Obama 2012 in, um, in Atlanta, um, mostly making calls to North Carolina and things like that. So that's really where I started getting involved um, my last year of high school. But, uh, yeah, I mean, myself, I, I like I said, I got, I got started in Georgia, so obviously a much different breed of Democrat. Um, other than the Obama campaign, the first campaign I really worked on was Jason Carter, who was an NRA Democrat, grandson of Jimmy Carter. Uh, and then, you know, I came up to Massachusetts for college, and... You know, suddenly, uh, you know, I'm 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 faced with Republicans who are to the left of the Democrats I'd been campaigning for, and that's not to say I was necessarily in line. I mean, I you know, for those who know me, it's another thing about me. I co-founded a, a national gun violence prevention organization as well called Students Against Gun Violence. So I'm not, you know, I'm not an NRA Democrat, but uh, it definitely was a bit of a shock to to see how much of a tent our party really is. And I think a big uh, source of the issues we're facing right now today is that some don't want to acknowledge that ideological big tent that we are. Well, you're talking about the big tent. I mean, would you argue that the tent is growing or shrinking right now? I mean, shrinking, I think it's... absolutely. Okay, so, and that leads to an interesting, you know, an interesting point of conversation because over the past few weeks in the, you know, in the haste since your... Um, departure from the Clinton campaign. Uh, you know, we've had, uh, we've had a number of big races that I think have really um, been predictors and shaped uh, the way the House Democrats might, or the Democrats in general might be proceeding. I mean, the first, obviously, would be uh, Nancy Pelosi's re-election. I right. mean, all of viewers will know that she was, uh, or likely know that she was re-elected um, by secret ballot, 134 to 63, um, right. to her uh, challengers, uh, Tim Ryan, who's a representative from Ohio. Um, many have argued that this race is more about visibility. He's obviously being slated for governor. Um, he's got a very big, uh, he's got a big swath. He's, I believe, the biggest um, 
district in Ohio uh, goes from more, I think, more urban centers. It includes Akron, so it's a bit of a diverse um, area, but I know he's at least right now playing for governor, so I think that might okay. be a factor. I mean, what do you, how did you view that as somebody who might be affiliated with more of a, sure. a you know, establishment Democrat? Sure. You know, I mean, I recently, uh, this past summer, was working in the House for um, a congressman named Richard Neal uh, from the 1st District of Mass, who, you know, has been in, been in the House since uh, 1989. He's very close with Nancy Pelosi, um, you know. She is very, very well respected um, by pretty much everyone who's worked with her for a good amount of time. And I, I don't know that Tim Ryan's necessarily an exception to that. Um, I, I think he, like many others, thinks the party needs to go in a new direction. I don't think he's wrong about that. Now, you but, describe Ryan as a new direction. I mean, is that his youth? Well, is that the fact that he's not Nancy Pelosi? Because well, I would say that there yeah. are definitely other elements that would be more of a new direction than, sure. from what I say, you know, a white Democrat from Ohio versus Nancy Pelosi. Well, and something interesting about Ryan is I think he only became pro-choice a couple of years ago. Like, so he's, so it's, it's, you can have an interesting discussion on ideology and whether or not he would take the party in a more conservative direction or liberal direction, or if he even has that ability as just the House leader, right, of, a, of the minorities. So, you know, I, I think what I mean by that is a, just a new leadership direction. Like, you know, there, there are definitely some fair, fair critiques to be made about how Democrats are operating uh, on the national level and in, and in, and in D.C., mm-hmm. but I don't... I don't place blame on Pelosi. I think blame needs to be placed on the DNC and its lack of a 50-state, every single race focus, Mm -hmm. uh, which is absolutely what we need. Now, you say 50-state, you know, 50-state, every race focus. Expand on that because I don't – I hear that and it sounds like a political jargon turn. Like, tell me what you mean by that and also how does that relate to this this election cycle? So the Democratic Party – likes to focus, at least, you know, the, the modern Democratic Party, likes to focus on and hone in on certain races. It's kind of similar to how uh, national campaigns like to focus on certain states. So think about it like that. The DNC is no different. They'll, they'll say, okay, this seat in Iowa, this seat in, uh, in, in, in Kansas, we're going we're gonna, to, you know, probably an odd example, but, you know, we're going to, we're going to back financially and, 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 you know, on social media and so forth. And then this race in Georgia, uh, which our statisticians are saying we have no chance of winning. We're not even going to give them a dollar. And, and there's this, and, you know, it's a bit of an exaggeration, but the fact, the fact remains the democratic party makes decisions about what races are possible to win, uh, without like way in advance and really without, um, giving a fair shot to other candidates. And there was a great, uh, there was a really great piece in Politico, I believe yesterday, from a candidate who was the nominee, I think, for the Democratic Party in North Carolina for a seat, and he lost. And he talked about how it oh, took him, he? it took him the like... North Carolina Democrat lost? I believe so. And, and I think it took him about... Shocker. Six months. Well, joke, well one... with the Democratic governor. Roy Cooper. Uh, but anyway, uh, I was I was talking about how this candidate lost, and, and he mentioned it took him something like six months to even get a meeting, and, and he was only able to, to, to secure that meeting because he had so much experience with the party as a, as a Democratic Well, that's operative. an issue with funding as well. Because, so you I can mean, imagine I, if you're see, just a sta- if you don't oh, have that experience and, I mean, and you're trying to get that You know, not to, not to go off on my own, my own personal tangent, and this, my experience is related more to the Republican Party, 
But it's um, an issue not only in the big tent problem, but I think it also expands to um, it expands to the Republican Party as well. I mean, in terms of the financing options, you have to raise an enormous amount of money before you're even considered for. Party I think they're so funding. much better about it, though, and I, I know they have more. They may have more money and whatever, but their their ability to focus on not just on these. I'm talking about. I'm talking about U.S. congressional elections that the Democratic Party is pretty much ignoring. The Republican Party not only is 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 has its act together with most most of those, but they're focusing and winning state house races mm-hmm. and and, yeah. and state senate races and judicial races in places like Pennsylvania oh, where that's a thing. And absolutely. and so the Democratic Party not only needs to be focusing on every one of these U.S. congressional races. And by the way, uh, the U.S. Senate has a race today. Foster Campbell. Uh, running uh, against John Kennedy in Louisiana, and he he came out uh, just the other day and said the Democratic Party hasn't really been there for him. He said there he said something about uh, what was the Southern uh, expression he used is they tucked favorite. under the covers. But I mean they yeah. they the Democratic Party can win in the South. They can absolutely win in the South. And I you know it's just it's this 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 establishment clique that is making determinations on what our platform is going to be nationally. There's no willingness to, uh, you know, compromise and think about, you know, having this, this, this big tent, because I think that's the solution to winning across the United States. Well, I mean, I, I don't know what you think about this, but if right now I think a lot of the concern, and this is not a novel idea, right, that the Democrats are playing to the elite element. They're saying, oh, well, look at us, and the, you know, an ivory tower idea. And then, you know, if that's the case, then the Republicans are everybody else. And, you know, people will say whatever you want about the idea of, uh, you know, the way our electoral college works. But at the end of the day, American elections are a numbers game. And if the Republicans sure. have those numbers, you know, there's not going to be a, a big tent revolution anytime soon. I don't think, you know, if Republicans remain the party of everybody else. And it's odd that that's the case, right? Not to cut you off, but Donald Trump, the their, nom, their president-elect, or our president-elect, but, you know, they're not, their former nominee, uh, is a billionaire. Mm-hmm. And, and somehow they managed to have a billionaire nominee and be the party of everybody. Democratic Party needs to figure that out. I, I mean, we say, have a case to be made. We're going to discuss the party of everybody. It is, and I think this is a point worth reiterating, but we do get the fact that Hillary Clinton did win two and a half million more votes than, than Donald Trump. It's just that the votes that Donald Trump won uh, happen to have mattered more. She's going to hit three million probably, yeah. right? She's, I mean, she's actually going to beat out Obama's 2012 victory over um, Romney. It's, it's just crazy. that uh, Donald Trump got something like 50,000 votes where, where it counted. And that abrogates, you know, these three million votes in the centers, the urban centers uh, of the country. Um, also, if we're talking about the Republican Party, and um, there's a real gross imbalance of organizational competence here. The Republican Party has, what, 36 state houses under their control? Something like so, that. I mean, we, we were just discussing this uh, before we went live. We were talking about the, um, they're, they're going to have the ability to amend the Constitution right. soon. You right. know, they really have um, a tremendous... Tremendous. Well, now that that lends itself to the mirror issue because we're talking about what kind of what kind of amendment amendments would um, a Republican Party even put forward? And I think the the fatal flaw of a big tent, no matter what, is that you have multiple interests on the same issue, right? I mean, if you're talking manufacturing, and I think this is I don't want to go into this uh, specifically, but 
um, Trump's cabinet picks. These are folks who, in many ways, are against free trade. Right. Um, you know, whereas certain, you know, major donor elements, I would point to the Koch brothers, are very, very pro-trade, uh, pro-free trade. And, you know, if you have those conflicting elements in a party, how can you move forward? How many states can you continue to win? I mean, is it that the Republican Party right now is a Rorschach test? We can see anything we really want in it. It can represent any of us if we just squint hard enough. Or is it... Well, it's selective attention, right? So yeah. it's like if you're if you're someone who's focused on gun violence, you're mm-hmm. going to look at Democrats and you might ignore uh, a stance on another position that you disagree with. If you're focused on uh, taxation, you might look at the Republican Party and ignore their stances on gun violence. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's, it's selective attention. And that's the best way of putting it. Um, and, you know, I, I think both parties are big tents. They have to be. It's necessitated by the very fact that there are only are two parties. Mm-hmm. So you can't get too uh, into the weeds because regardless of what the Republican position and the Democratic position on their platform is, there are more positions out there that, that Americans identify with. So if neither party, you know, uh, welcomes those people, then where do they go? I do think that the Rorschach test is, um, it is an interesting analogy if we're describing um, the Republican Party because, um, you know, in many ways, this is a party of plutocrats. Even for all for all Donald Trump's, you know, drain the swamp rhetoric. Look at who he appoints. He appoints, you know, Andrew Pudzer. He appoints a man who has literally been decried by Breitbart for his his trade policies. You know, and despite this, you get like I said, working class white folks um, casting their ballots for them because they see this party, which clearly doesn't represent their own interests, as somehow their own party. I mean, you know, I mean, that's isn't not that true of the Democrats as well? Uh, for white voters? Oh, absolutely. I mean, look, the the folks who were, I would say that the folks who were rallying for Bernie Sanders have as much to be upset about when looking at uh, Wall, uh, Hillary Clinton's Wall Street connections. I mean, there's that much of a difference in the party. I kind of like what you said, Michael, about the idea of a, a tent that's so expensive on both sides that, it, you know, people are getting lost. And I, I mean, I've said this before, and I don't want to get into the populist element so much, but the, I think that that's really more of the question of our time right now, the elitist versus the populist. We can see that when, you know, Romney is secretary, or Romney is a potential secretary of state. Then that's, you know, that's a whole other... Probably not at this point, but... Probably not at this point. Never know in the world of Trump. Hey, we're cooling on the secretary of state conversation. Don't want to go into it because it'll be a whole thing. And what did I say? This is, this is the, um, Berkla... Mm-hmm. episode of the podcast we're only talking about democrats and we started talking about republicans so we're going to need sure. to put back on our birkenstocks <laughs> i got sperry's on but okay uh but i i, I just want to say like just to kind of um you know tie the knot on the end of my point there uh the my 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 point is Democrats and Republicans alike need to be more malleable. That doesn't mean they need to abandon their principles, their fundamental principles that, that make them Democrats and Republicans, mm-hmm. but it means they have to be willing to uh, have people on both sides of certain issues and not shame one another in both the far left and the far right, which are the, the forces that kind of pushed us into the middle and created this organization. Uh, are guilty of that. They shame people. Uh, far-right pro-lifers are guilty of shaming and, and, and all sorts of awful things against people on the left who are, or, or even in the center-right who are who, who may be pro-choice. Uh, people on the far-left uh, 
same thing with all kinds of uh, all kinds of other uh, legislation and policies. So I mean, we we've got to get past this politics of shame and start realizing that this is a two-party system. There are only two options. So each party has to be a big tent fundamentally. I'm going to jump to that point you made about um, being the center being marginalized by the fringes, and um, this is a this is a pretty big problem for the Republican Party just because of. Um, I mean, you can see it in the Obama era, how the Republican Party is essentially the party of the Freedom Caucus, you know, where it basically boils down to if you do not have a hard right ideology, uh, we're going to primary you, you know, and because the, the districts have been gerrymandered in such a way that they're full of hard right voters, the only way to beat a candidate is by, you know, slamming to the right. And I mean, this is in no small part produced, like I said, one of the most, uh, I mean, Ronald Reagan would be primary today, you know, this has produced an extremely reactionary Republican Party. And, um, I mean, now I, I almost, uh, I feel like the Democrats have had some Tea Party envy, and, and now there's the very real risk that uh, the Democrats have their own Tea Party moment. You know, I mean, well, look, why wouldn't you be upset? Why wouldn't you be envious? Look at those hats. Look at those breeches. They're gorgeous. You can wear them to anything. They transition perfectly day to night. And honestly, the sex appeal is off the charts. So I get it. I would understand why you would want to go in that direction. That's all I'm saying. Okay, so um, before I you know, get too hot and bothered thinking about the Tea Party apparel, um, let's transition into talking about the other, uh, the other big election that's dominated a lot of the, um, the news coming out. Chairmanship. Um, chairmanship. Uh, oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's the Keith Ellison. Possibly Keith Ellison. Um, the Raymond Buckley. We've got uh, Yeah, we've got Jamie some others. Harris. It's going to be Ellison, if we're being completely honest. Well, I'm, I'm pushing for co-chairs, but what were you saying? But, uh, so, um, Keith Ellison, he's a, another House of Reps guy. Um, Minnesota's 5th District, just outside the Twin Cities. Mm -hmm. um, he's very notorious. He's loved and hated. He's African-American. He's Muslim. He's controversial. Sure. He's Man's got a little goatee. It's kind of cool. Um, <laughs> but he's often, like, he's often espoused by both many elements in the party, uh, right. Democratic and certainly Republican, that don't like him. Um, I mean, just to kind of do a quick, re quick recap of his scandals, um, he used the Quran to swear, uh, to be sworn in, leading to some, uh, you know, rudimentary... Interesting scandal, yeah. Yeah, right? I don't think it is. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the Republican, um, but I, I certainly don't. I'm not I offended by that. I find a list of rabble, 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 rabble conspiracies. That's, that's kind of one I of I like those. conspiracy. But anyway, he used um, he used a Quran to be sworn into office. Uh, or not Thomas even, Jefferson's Quran. Yeah, Thomas Jefferson's Quran. Nice job. Nice job, Alex, being up on the research. Nice job, buddy. Um, Beyond that, which you know, caused a small, uh, small bit of outrage, but nothing, nothing to, uh, you know, career-ending. I remember Barack Obama talking about it on his trip to Egypt. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's, the... I think it's really, besides the people who are more state religion-based, which is already a semi-marginal group, I would say, I, I don't think it caused too, too many major waves. Um, the I mean, the other, I think, more insidious scandals, or I guess concerns, are um, his Ties support. To yeah, Ties his to the nation of Islam. Absolutely, right. absolutely, which is something that people, uh, I would say, on both the left and right, have some major concerns about. Sure. Um, and so he has, he, you know, I wouldn't say that the nation of Islam in any capacity is centrist. Uh, you know, I think that it's, <sighs> it's a deeply. Um, it's black nationalism, correct? It's, um, yeah, well, it's they're a, a, very, very bizarre. I mean, well, I wouldn't say that, you know, I, I understand... Or, excuse me, not... 
He was accused of that. Right? Yeah, he was accused yes. of it. Um, it it's just, um, it's, it's Farrakhan and the and black nationalism, or excuse me, and the Nation of Islam in general, I think put up a lot of alarm bells in uh, political folks, I do uh, think and, it, no matter what party. It is worth noting here that the Nation of Islam is in no way, shape, or form associated with mainstream Islam. It's really, enti- like it, it uses the name of Islam, but it is entirely separate. Well, they've been has, accused of being anti-Semitic. Well, yes. And so, that I mean, extends to There are some things Ellison, in right? common, but <laughs> if we're speaking about theology, like I said, the nation of Islam is, is wacky. It is it is very strange. You know, it's... It's, it's a fringe, but it, a fringe. It, 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 is right? very, it is very much a fringe and, um, and has very little to do with and, conventional Islam. Sure, and to be fair, I mean, a lot of this is, is based off of some articles he wrote in college, right? I mean, oh, yeah. which he, is, he which kind of... He published under, a, like, which, a, a pen name. Yeah. It, which is exactly a plot line from House of Cards. It was in the mid-90s. But you know no, what? No, it, no, no. He, it, I mean, he it was in graduate school. It reminds me to Kern, or whatever, from yeah. House of Cards, yeah. and Williams, uh, which I've read that paper before. This is it's nowhere a note near to that. every one of our uh, <laughs> listeners that is in college. Don't go above and beyond. Don't publish anything. It well, will be used against you. Unless you write for us. Yeah, write provocative for us. But I'll just say this. I... Head your bets. We're not publishing if you defend the nation of Islam. I got some bad news for you, champ. I'll just say this: Uh, I met Ellison before. He's a tremendously nice guy. The only questionable uh, thing I can say about him is he was wearing jeans, and it was at the DNC. I'm looking at you right now. You're wearing jeans and loafers. This is a casual. This this, this isn't a video broadcast. He's from Minnesota. It's like a country look. But anyway, it was, you know, it's we were advice. all in suits and he was in, that was the only, that's the only thing that's I criticized him for. That's a power play. You might but, want to power play you. Uh, but tremendously nice guy. I just, you know, I was personally supporting Howard Dean until he dropped out. So I don't know now. I know Raymond Buckley uh, has had <laughs> tremendous success in New Hampshire. If you want to edit in the screen um, just for like two minutes in the middle. That would be amazing. Uh, but I, I know Raymond Buckley's had tremendous success in New Hampshire and that's definitely a model I want to look to. Um, I'm... You know, whoever is the next uh, DNC chair needs to support, though, like I said, every single race, every single candidate, and a 50-state strategy in in all capacity. Well, my major concern about the Ellison appoint or, uh, you know, theoretical chairmanship is his uh, somewhat illicit campaign contributions. I mean, he's gotten direct support from Council on American Islamic, uh, uh, excuse Relations. me, Council on American Islamic Relations. Sure, I mean, say it five times fast. Oh, I mean, but, American no, Islamic. don't. You actually, don't, gotta, yeah, I, I'll take it. you up on that. Please sure, but it. just, I mean, I mean, I mean, know. undocumented filing—that's a concern. That's exactly the kind of concerns that brought down Hillary Clinton. But to say it, nothing it, of the fact that CARE is directly associated with the Muslim Brotherhood, which is an organization that has such prominent chapters as Hamas. Sure. So, so there are we'll obviously. So there are obviously some significant concerns, and this gets into a conversation of to what extent is a you know candidate or or, or politi- elected official obligated to uh, or able to control where their donations are coming from, right? And I'll say this: I mean, I, I listened to Ellison um, speak on not to advertise another podcast, but keeping it sixteen hundred with John Favreau the other day, and. Please a do. Lot, we'll a call, lot, <laughs> yeah, we'll get a shout out. A lot of my concerns... We'll get, they'll get five more viewers. <laughs> sure. A lot of my concerns were alleviated, at least in part, by that conversation. Um, I did not know that he had something like a 70% white district and was able... I mean, he is very well, good those at... those districts he are is, very, very interesting. He's very good at getting out the vote, I mean, which there's is a ton of... Um, there's a huge... Um, 
oh my goodness. Somali. Oh, thank you. Somali population in those specific parts of Minnesota. I don't know if you... Um, but it is, but again, it is, his district is like 70% white. Yeah, so. I mean, and, and that's, that's to varied success. I mean, I remember hearing, uh, you know, an interview with, I believe it was Tom Enner, uh, Emmer, another okay. rep from Minnesota, who's a Republican, talking about how, and, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, you know, these elements in this community were riling up. They were, you know, they were reacting in fear. And, you know, there's, that's a very interesting little snippet of, you know, the political, what political society right now looks like in America. You know, there's definitely, he's an interesting district to choose from because I think in, in, in a way that, you know, the collection of Somali refugees encapsulates a lot of the anxiety that Americans have. About yeah. about refugees, about uh, you know outside elements in society. I think uh, it's uh, there's a lot there. For what it's worth, if we're talking about um, Americans who have gone and joined ISIS, um, American we? Muslims, American Muslims. Minnesota is a big state. Minnesota, where it's from. the it's the Somali community outside the Twin Country, City yeah. has contributed the vast majority of uh, American defectors to ISIS. Um, I personally also they're super nice over there. They are. I've I love, never met I love Minnesota. Minnesota. And I Minnesota's like. nice. Yeah. I'm all of America's overrated, but the state is great. Um, my objection with my strange. objection with Keith Ellison does ultimately come down as and I had a couple. I, I am not. I mean, I pretty much reconciled myself with the fact that it's going to be Ellison, you know, and that um, you know, Warren wants a week uh, a week DNC chair for when she runs in 2020. But um, and she is going to run. In I don't, oh, I don't, I don't I think that there's guarantee that if she if she run. I mean, I okay, I I'll but, I'll, I'll, I'll but, see the fact that she's going to run, but I don't I won't. But I, I, with, not that she's going to have with a Ellison. So we just lost an election because uh, we lost whites. You know, we lost working class whites and white women and now the best way to he's kind of a cutie i could be one over with keith ellison donald trump oh no i was talking oh, about no. i was talking about oh i was talking about keith ellison kind oh. of a babe my, my point is the kind best let's see we just lost the party because we we lost the race one of the most devastating electoral uh, electoral defeats in probably democratic history um because we we lost you know the white the white silent majority for lack of a better term uh, so yeah, we're going to nominate a black Muslim with historic ties to the nation of Islam. You know those Fox News headlines, those Breitbart headlines. Those aren't just going to write themselves. You know I can be like it sounds like they just this, did. This, this is a man with. It sounds is, like they just did, but with with you using that voice. This is this black Muslim. Sure. This is a man who has. This is a man who's called Israel an apartheid state. You know this is a man who, like I said, has connections with uh, Care, which is connected to the Muslim Brotherhood. This is a man who's defended one of the most lunatic groups of black nationalists. Like I said, it, it will not be hard. I mean, he's like a Jeremy Corbyn. You know, he is just uh, out of line with the... And it's not even his progressivism, because I think most people would like that sort of populism. I think that's the reason why Bernie supports him in no small part, because of sort of that economic populist message. But, um, I mean, like, he's he's like a unicorn, and, and not in a good way, you know, not in, like, the magical, will cure your disease kind of way. He's a unicorn and a, will drive all the votes, white votes, into the Republican Party and keep them there forever. Sure. Well, just he's to, also got a big pointy horn. <laughs> well, just okay. to, just to clarify, I mean, I, I my reservations with Allison are not with regard to his race and or his, or his background necessarily. With, I mean, certainly with some comments he's made with regard to Israel, is parts from traditional Democrat, the Dem Democratic Those are the, That's the biggest red flag on the issue. Um, real thing. But and obviously that's important to all of us, but. Uh, I think that, you know, certainly the fact that he, as you mentioned, Sanders, he kind of 
goes back to that Sanders message that I feel would not be successful, would not have been successful in the presidential election, um, and that would not be successful going forward. So I, I think there's room for those people in our party. Like I said, we're a big tent. We need to be accepting of that. But I don't think that, you know, having someone from that ilk of the party is necessarily the best person to lead it. Um, and I also just want to ask you guys, like, why is it that these are our only candidates? Why, why do, I mean, I guess it's just not a job that people want. <laughs> you know, it's a tough task. We well, it's, a, it's you know? a very, I mean, it's kind of marred now. I mean, after, we haven't gone into this too Donna, much, but after, Donna. well, I mean, Donna Brazil is um, Brazilian. Wonderful, wonderful, Brazil, wonderful woman. I mean, she's, uh, well, she has heavily, heavily tied oh, to CNN. Activist. I mean, you know, I think that there's something to be said about, you know, linking party and politics to media in that way. I mean, of course, we know um, Debbie Wasserman Schultz is what can go drastically wrong yeah. if you have she, a, I have a, a different opinion of inherently political. Oh, poor um, Debbie. No one likes her except I her. like Debbie. Only her home district. I mean, I think what like he her. did was somewhat so. despicable-ish, but like, <laughs> I, I have a respect for, a, I have a lot of respect for her as a woman leader. We can talk off air about her. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's. I canvassed in Debbie okay. country. They all really like her. Okay. Now, before we get too deep into Debbie Wasserman Schultz, um, Michael, where do you think the party needs to go from here? Because obviously we've got a lot of different models. I think we're seeing a smaller tent and a more targeted reach, but I think, you know, at least Tim Ryan and uh, Keith Ellison, they offer very, very different solutions. So what do you, what are your thoughts on that? Sure. So, I mean, I think Nancy Pelosi was victim to uh, a bad bit of soundbiting the other day where uh, she said, you know, I don't think people want change. I don't ascribe to that. I think there does need, does need to be radical change in the party. I just don't think it needs to be ideological so much as pragmatic and, and practical change. We need to be better, like I said, about this 50-state strategy, caring about every election from Louisiana to Massachusetts. Uh, and we need to... Uh, be, you know, have a, have a malleable platform that works uh, in every state. Um, and that's the change we need. We need, we need better leadership. Um, you know, we need a stronger bench, but I don't think we need to take a hard left and, uh, you know, further divide the country in polarization and grow the middle, um, uh, the people in between uh, who are dissatisfied with either option, um, both you know, presumably pretty extremist. Uh, so, you know, that's that's what I think. I mean, the party needs to change uh, in those kind of practical ways, but not as much ideologically. Awesome. Um, well, thank you so, so much for being here. Um, I, I think we'll wrap this up. But, um, Michael, is there any Twitter you want to plug? Um, obviously, check out the American sure. Moderate. I'm sure I'm not taking the words out of his mouth by saying that. Um, personal Twitter, social media? At HoutMichael, um, and then at, I guess, the American Moderate. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> you should probably know that. Yeah, I should. But All right. Well, we'll have joke. it next time. Um, <laughs> thank you so, so much for being here. This has been Modcast. I'm Teresa Meyer. Thank you so, so much for listening.